When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Welcome to another commercial-free plus episode. And thanks to all of my premium subscribers for your continued support. Two millennia ago, a culture that is still unknown to us today erected thousands of mounds throughout the Midwestern United States to the Gulf of Mexico. They're called the Hopewell, the Adena, or the Mississippian. However, no one knows what these people actually called themselves. In other words, they remain mysterious and unknown to us today. When the first white settlers encountered the Great Circle Mound of Ohio, they asked the Native Americans living there, who built this? The natives replied they didn't know who built them, as these large mounds were there and abandoned when they arrived. The discovery of these mounds created a controversy, as some posited that the mounds were built by an unknown lost tribe of people who migrated perhaps from the Old World. Others thought they could be one of the lost tribes of Israel. This debate continued until the last part of the 19th century, when the conclusion was made that Native Americans had built the mounds, but they simply had forgotten they'd done so. This is now the accepted paradigm. However, is this the truth of what occurred in the ancient past, or has this information been managed to bolster a particular narrative? L.A. Marzulli is standing by for a fascinating inside look at his continued pursuit of the giants of the Bible and the Nephilim of Genesis 6. L.A. is an author, lecturer, and filmmaker. He's penned over a dozen books, including the Nephilim trilogy, which made the CBA bestsellers list. His series on the trail of the Nephilim 1 and 2 are full-color oversized books which uncover startling evidence that there has been a massive cover-up of what he believes are the remains of the Nephilim, the giants mentioned in the Bible. L.A. teamed up with film producer Richard Shaw to create the Watchers series. There are now 11 installments in the series and Watchers 7, UFO Physical Evidence won UFO Best Film and the People's Choice Awards at the UFO Congress in 2014. L.A. and Shaw took their second trip to Peru in January of 2014, filming ancient artifacts and megalithic structures at various locations. And also, they filmed the unwrapping of a 2,000-year-old mummy's skull at San Juan Navarro's Paracas History Museum, which was revealed in Watchers 8. He's produced over a half-dozen episodes in his On the Trail of the Nephilim series, including The Mysterious Mountain Builders. L.A., welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. It's been a while. How are you? I'm, I'm really well. Thanks for having me here. Appreciate it. In fact, it's been so long uh, that we sort of uh, lost track after this horrible fire, wildfire in November 2018, the worst wildfire in California history. 
uh, you and your uh, lovely wife, you lost your house in the Woolsey fire. Can you give us an update? What's happening with you? Well, we're actually rebuilding here. Um, it took about a year to get the building permit, uh, but we're, we actually are rebuilding uh, with Giga Creep. It's a, it's a relatively new product, sensational, pretty much fireproof, goes up very quickly. Uh, your labor cost goes down about 35 to 40%. The building materials are down about 40%, and lumber's gone through the roof out here in California, just through the roof. It's up, it's up like 40%. So it's, a, it's an all-metal steel building, but looks very conventional. I actually drew up the plans for it, and uh, which was great, and got all that done. So, so yeah, um, we're rebuilding, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get back here sometime early next year. Oh, thank God. Thank God. So let me ask you, how did the fire affect production in, in, your, um, in your work with, with the, uh, on the Trail of the Nephilim series, etc.? Well, I mean, it really didn't. We, we never missed a beat. We now have um, six films in the series. Five are available. Number six will be up on our streaming channel which is streaming.lamarzuli.net, probably next week. We'll also have hard copies of number six, which is the DNA. Um, you know, last year uh, we moved out to Oklahoma in February, and then in June we were in Europe for 30 days filming. So it, it, we have a lot of film that we've never even touched, and uh, that's what we're working on now. And, you know, it, it's, uh, we, it, look, you don't stop doing what you're doing when you work for the Lord unless he tells you to stop. And, you know, this, he's, I think that, that Father God has raised me up to do this, and we're making films, and we're making a difference. I know we're making a difference. We get emails every day from people telling us, you know, that we've made a difference in their walk and in their life. I mean, just all sorts of incredible accolades that come in on a weekly basis, sometimes daily. So, um, yeah, so we're working on number seven. Uh, that will come out probably early next year. Amen. Amen to that. I want to talk about the uh, the mysterious mound builders because uh, a year ago in the spring, I took my boys on a baseball road trip. We're going to see baseball games in all 30 parks before it's all done. And uh, so we were on our way to Pittsburgh and we stopped off, made a little pit stop in Moundsville, West Virginia. Uh-huh. And uh, we went to the Grave Creek Mound Archaeological Complex and then right across from the West Virginia uh, state penitentiary, which is an ominous and foreboding-looking building, you have you have this incredible mound. For those who haven't seen these these mounds that dot the Ohio Valley, uh, uh, describe them. Well, the the mounds that that reach literally from up in your neck of the woods all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. There are thousands of them. Uh, they're called the mound builder culture by archaeologists. And most archaeologists will call them the Hopewell or the Adena. Um, they don't know what these people actually call themselves. They have no idea where these, who these people really were. It's all conjecture on their part. In fact, it gets, it gets to, the, to, the, um, to the point where there was this heated debate in the 19th century where some people were going like, well, maybe, you know, these weren't Native Americans. Maybe they were Vikings. Maybe they were one of the tribes of a... Uh, one of the lost tribes of Israel. Maybe they were, you know, seafarers or Phoenicians or whatever. All the speculation and and it was swirling because no one knew. You know, there was a lot of mystery. And there's a guy by the name of Cyrus Thomas who said, you know, 
this is what we're going to do. This, this is what we're going to say. This is the paradigm that everyone will uphold. And it was this, that Native Americans built the mounds, but they just forgot that they had done so. And that is literally taught in, in school. If you want to be an archaeologist, um, that's pretty much the first thing that you learn. Native Americans built all these mounds, but they just forgot that they had done so, which is a direct slap in the face against First Nation people's oral tradition. Exactly. They would have known. And in fact, they say exactly the opposite. First Nation people say, no, we didn't build the Great Circle Mound. It was here when we got here. No, we didn't build a Serpent Mound. No, we didn't build Cahokia or any of these other places. But so there's a great disservice, as Chief Joseph points out in the film, that's being done. You know, these aren't, this isn't the white man 200 years ago saying, you know, this, 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 and the other thing. This is the white man, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago saying, no, well, the, you know, we're going to say that the Serpent Mound was built by by the Shawnee. Meanwhile, the chief of the Shawnee goes, nope, we didn't do it. We did not build it. So who do we believe? The anthropologists and the archaeologists are putting up signs on the Serpent Mount of the Shawnee who say, no, it was here when we got here. We don't know who built it. So this is the whole point. The Shawnee don't know. There's a mis it's, it's very, Richard, it's very, very mysterious. I mean, it really is. Right. Uh, so the, the deeper you go, the more mysterious it gets. How typical, it, because I haven't seen a lot of mounds, but the, the Grave Creek Mound, I think, is something like 62 feet high, uh -huh. 240 feet in diameter. Uh, it's absolutely incredible to see this thing, you know, poking out of the uh, the terrain there. Something like uh, 60,000 tons of dirt uh, that, that had to be moved. And we're talking about what, 250, 150 B.C.? Roughly in that time frame. Yeah. How, um, how, how typical is that mound to the other ones in the Ohio Valley? It's, it's one of the larger ones for sure. Um, and I've been to the site several times. We actually filmed there. And we discovered, uh, Fritz Zimmerman was with us, Peggy and I were there with Fritz, and we were filming uh, at Grave Creek. And we walked out of the museum, and Fritz goes, oh my gosh, look at this. There was a picture that was taken from a magazine that was a lithograph. So it was published probably 100 years ago, maybe more, right? But it showed the museum inside the mound. There used to be a museum inside Grave Creek Mouse, no longer there. Now, whether or not they filled it in or not, I don't know. But this is where it just gets amazing. In the lithograph, it showed a, a, a man, a woman, and a child. The woman had one of those very large, you know, dresses, the hoop dresses that go all the way down to the floor and a bonnet, typical of a uh, 19th century uh, dress code. And the a little girl was standing next to her. Uh, to the right of them is a man with a stove uh, top hat like Lincoln wore, stovepipe hat. And uh, behind them uh, is a display of a giant skeleton. Because the guy is standing near the skeleton, we know that this is a really big guy. Okay, we know that. So we filmed that. You know, we shot the film. We took the Fritz weighed in on the whole thing. Camera was going. Here it is. It's all. It's all in the in the film. And this archaeologist guy was was did a YouTube on us and said, well, you know, Mar Marzulli and Fritz are are basically lying. Here's here's the lithograph, and there's no giant in the picture. <laughs> Well, he was completely taken to task because what they had done 
they had photoshopped the photo. They had photoshopped the photo to make the skeleton look normal. The photo that we saw, which by the way, never, never should have been up there. We all know that. That was a giant skeleton, maybe nine, 10 feet tall inside that museum, which corresponds to some of the oral tradition about finding uh, very large skeletons in Grave Creek. Of course, all this is completely dismissed, just like, just like the, the lithograph that we found. And the reason why it happened was this. The woman who used to do all these like little um, displays throughout the museum, she helped do that. She retired from her job, so they hired somebody else. So the new woman came in, and she started going through the files. And she put this picture up on the display. She did it. But the, the, uh, the curator of the museum, the head archaeologist, more than likely had no idea. That's verboten. You just don't do that. Because that, that doesn't uphold the existing paradigm that there are no such things as giants. So not only do we find the picture of a giant at Grave Creek, but later it was photoshopped by an archaeologist to make it look like it wasn't a giant. And people saw it and said, well, this isn't the picture that Elia Marzulli shows in this film. It's not, and it's not. And Fritz actually, we actually wrote the guy, um, and he, of course, never responded. You know, we, we caught him. We caught him just like we caught the Catalina Museum doing exactly the same thing, redacting the giant out of the picture that I discovered in the archives. And when we had that picture analyzed by three different people, it was a nine-footer. So, you know, they, there's a game here. It's just like Twitter. We're going we're gonna to censor you if we don't like your speech. So it's not science. Science goes where the evidence leads you. You have a hypothesis, uh, and then you go out and see if your hypothesis is valid. And if it is, then other people should be able to take that hypothesis and test it and see if it is valid, see if there's any validity to it. That's the scientific method in a nutshell. Well, I went out, I got a picture in Catalina. I had it analyzed by three different people. There was no collusion between any of them. They all put it over nine feet. I published it. And guess what the museum did? They redacted the skeleton out of the picture. And they blew up the picture, put it on the wall, took the, took the skeleton out of the picture. So we filmed that. That went viral. And, <laughs> hold on. and then what's really interesting is when you go back to the new museum, they have the picture and it's blown up really, really big. But uh, there's, there's no mention about a skeleton being abnormally large or anything else. The other thing I noticed when we were at the Grave Creek Mound archaeological complex is they, they describe the Adena as, and they, it's like they go to pains to describe them as being of average height. You got that? They're average. They're not tall. They're not giants. They're average. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, there's pushback. We know, we know that there were giants exhumed all through the Americas. There's no doubt about it. The Native American oral tradition talks about red-haired, six-fingered giants roaming the country. There was a Nephilim. That's what they were. And that points back to the supernatural. Our work um, later on in the series, America Stonehenge, number four and number five, part two of America Stonehenge, the Axis Mundi, shows us, shows the viewer that this blows the lid off of everything that these people think that they know. There is a supernatural world. They don't want to get into that because most of them are ardent Darwinists, and there is no supernatural, but there is, and it's very real. And our, what we show um, in, in all the films is that 
something else is going on here than what mainstream archaeology has been telling us. So it's, you know, it's just the typical, Richard, it's the typical cover-up. I mean, you know, you want to talk about conspiracy theories, you know, they accuse me of conspiracy theories because I'm talking about the Nephilim and Giants. Excuse me, you know, the big story here is you. You guys are the one that's covering up all this stuff. And, you know, uh, fudging pictures, making sure, oh, the Adina were average height. Not so fast, citizen. We, we've got reports from the Smithsonian, from their own ledger, talking about seven and eight footers that they exhumed. It's in their verbiage. Maybe they've redacted it by now. Who knows? But one of our archaeologists on our team, Mondo Gonzalez, showed us that. Or showed me that. And we did a whole film on that, which I've yet to do anything with. I mean, I've got hours and hours and hours of raw footage. And, you know, it's just me editing. So things go slow. We try to do two to three films a year. And this year, 20, 2020, we did three, which is pretty good for, a, you know, a guerrilla, guerrilla filmmaking with just me. And that's it. There is no... You know, there's no staff. That's it's just John, John, Adam, my son-in-law, and myself. That's it. And I do most of the editing, and I compose all the music. But I digress. It's interesting how they go out of their way to make sure that oh, the Adina were just normal people. When we have artifacts that say, okay, yeah, some of them were, but then there's something else going along with these guys, and we don't know what's what's really happening. We're not sure what's happening. Here's where the thing breaks apart. And we showed us the mysterious mound builders and also mathematical mysteries of the mound builders. When you deconstruct a mound, all right, when you deconstruct a mound and you realize, you know, 63,000 tons of earth, right? Well, what does that look like? What does 63,000 tons of earth really look like? Let's go um, to a place, the largest mound, which is a little larger than Graves Creek, Cahokia, or, or Point Pleasant in in Louisiana. Some of those are up to 490,000 um, cubic yards. Wow. Okay. I mean, that's, that's the type of tonnage we're looking at. And where it breaks down, we showed this. We, we, we made a replica, do it? Yes. replica of a, of a stone, stone age um, tool. And we hired a laborer. This guy goes out with this stone hoe and digs in the dirt, gathers the dirt up with his hands, put it in a deer skin, but we used a bucket instead, and, you know, walks, let's say, oh, maybe 100 yards to where the mound is going to be. And we shot all this in the film. He dumps the bucket, and that's one bucket. Okay, it's 27 million buckets of earth. 27 million buckets of earth to make a Hokia. 27 oh, million. Oh, my God. Buckets of Earth. So what does this look like? Okay, Fort Ancient is 3.5 miles of continuous earthen walls. It's a, it's a different site than Graves Creek, all right? The walls, the, the mound, the walls all around this, they call it a fort. It's actually, it's, um, it's got 66 gates, heavy, heavy ritualistic site for sure. So it's 3.5 miles of continuous walls. I've only been there once really want to go back again. And when you deconstruct it, what does it look like? In other words, if you were to deconstruct the 3.5 miles of earthen walls, some of them are 20, 30 feet high, deconstruct all those and, you know, take the dirt, fill up dump trucks end to end and park the dump trucks end to end. What does that look like? All right. And this is where the whole thing falls completely off the rails. 
you wind up with 200 miles of end-to-end -end dump trucks. 200 miles of dump trucks, bumper to bumper. Well, then how could they have done it? How did they do it? I mean, they must have had an army of giants with pretty sophisticated equipment. They're using sophisticated equipment. They're using supernatural techniques, just like Saksivamon. When you go down there in Peru and you see those megalithic stones, some of them weighing 80 tons or more, and we realize that, wow, they don't have the tools to do it. They can't do it even in modernity. Well, you can do it because we've got diamond saws and lasers and cranes, but none of that exists thousands of years ago. So how did it work? How the heck did it, how did they do it? The bottom line is they, human beings, did not do it. And this is where you come into my wheelhouse. You know, we're on the trail of a Nephilim, and this is we're exposing the deception of the prince of the power of the air. We're, we're showing that all these sites have fingerprints of the supernatural in them. Now, the uh, these are burial chambers, right? I mean, there must be artifacts that remain uh, that were, let's say, the personal effects of some of these Nephilim. I don't know, like a bracelet or a spear that must uh, sort of correspond with their, their incredible size. There are axe heads, which we show. And these axe heads... Um, that we show in, in mysterious mound builders, I believe it's mysterious mound builders. Some of them are, you know, the archaeologists, oh, these are ceremonial. So anything that they don't understand is immediately, this is ceremonial. Well, that's convenient, right? Whoever thought that one up, that's just genius. What if they're not ceremonial? What if they're utilitarian? What if a nine-footer is using a 28 or a 30-pound axe, right? Oh, oh, wow, that changes the equation. Same thing with the spears and the lances and everything else. So we do find very, very large artifacts. And archaeologists explain that away as, oh, these are just, um, you know, ceremony. This is symbolic of a great warrior, of a great chief. You're just making this stuff up. You don't know this. You're just making it up. That's what they, and that's what drives me nuts about this. You know, these, these people, they just make up stuff. You don't know what this is. Why not ask a First Nation person what it is? They'll tell you. You know, they will tell you. What you're looking at are, are, are these tools that the giants used. That, that's what these are. But you can't say that. And if I was an archaeological student, I'd flunk. <laughs> How many mounds in total do you think there were, you know, all the way from the Gulf up into, well, as you say, my neck of the woods? Yeah. Oh, there's, there's 10,000 mounds in Ohio alone. Richard, 10,000 in Ohio alone. Many of them were destroyed. Uh, you go back and you read, Fritz Zimmerman's done a wonderful work with the uh, Fallen Angels in the Ohio Valley of the Nephilim Chronicles. And, and he and I completely concur and agree that what you're looking at um, is the work of the Fallen Angels. Now, when Fritz was researching this, he had no dog in the hunt. He didn't know what he was looking at. He was intrigued. And the more he studied the more he realized that, wait a minute, there's only one answer. It's the Nephilim. These are Nephilim sites. So he came, he arrived at the same conclusion I did, independently of each other. So it's, um, and his book is a must read if you haven't read it yet. So 10,000 mounds alone in Ohio. Um, I mean, th does that give you any sense of the, the Nephilim population in North America? What it might have been? They were, they were over here 
<coughs> excuse me, and we don't know to the extent. Um, I've got conjecture. I've got some theories, which admittedly, admittedly are conjecture uh, on my part. But there's also biblical precedent for it. We know that when Sodom and Gomorrah, when the stench, when it really gets out of hand, then God acts and does something. We know that as he sends Jonah, that God sends Jonah to warn Nineveh that they're in danger of judgment, right? So we have, we have one city, Sodom and Gomorrah, completely destroyed. We have uh, Nineveh, which repents and isn't destroyed. We have the Tower of Babel, which was you know, into some pretty funky stuff. And that's destroyed. And the language of all the people is confused. So he does act and will act. We know that. The question is, did he allow these, these sites to flourish to a point and then say, nope, and then clear the air. Now, I don't know that. That's conjecture. What I do find interesting is when we go to America Stonehenge, okay, episode five, um, yeah, four and five, America Stonehenge. The Axis Monday is number five, and America Stonehenge is number four. When Robert Stone purchased a land decades ago, much of it was under the, much of it was, um, basically under the earth, it had been covered over, and including the chamber, the, what they call the oracle chamber, uh, the sacrificial table, uh, which I call sacrificial altar, because that's what it is in my opinion. Uh, it's a stone about 10 feet long and about four or five feet wide, about five feet wide. And it has a groove running on the edges of it to collect the blood. And then at the bottom, you know, you would uh, place a vessel to, and all that blood would drain into the vessel, and then you would drink the blood ceremonially. And that's what happened there on that site, in my opinion. Uh, and I think Dennis Stone is coming around to that as well. But so when he, when he got there, they saw the slab, but they thought it was just right on the surface. So they started digging, and they find that oh my gosh, this thing goes down to a stone floor. It's being held up by four legs. Oh wait, behind it. There's a chamber. It's an oracle chamber. There's a tube of stone that goes underneath the altar. So when you're in this hidden chamber, you could speak and it would reverberate and amplify. I mean, it must have just been really, really strange, really creepy stuff. And what's interesting, in the hypogeum on the island of Malta, there's a similar, um, a similar oracle stone like that, oracle chamber. And I actually spoke into that thing. It was unbelievable. I mean, you go back thousands of years when the hypogeum was being used. Remember, it was completely closed down. No one even knew it existed until workmen stumbled into it. It was sealed off. They found a pile of human bones at the entrance. A pile of human bones. Wow. People down there talked about seeing giants 20 feet tall. Of course, all that is, oh, no, no elongated skulls here. No giants, nothing to see, keep moving. But they won't let you down there with a camera or even an iPhone. And they only allow 15 people to go down at a time. And it's, it's a very closed-off site. Uh, again, you can't take photos, whatever. So we're down in the hypogeum, and I stick my head in this oracle chamber. Are you kidding me? That thing reverberated all throughout the complex. And here's the deal. There's 
places in this complex that the ceilings are like 15, 20 feet tall. And then there's other places where it's normal for a normal human being, six, seven, you know, seven foot tall, the ceilings are. Well, why are there rooms and they connect? It's almost like it's a labyrinth or a maze. Something's going on and we're not being told the truth, in my opinion, about what's really happening there. We also know that elongated skulls were taken out of the hypogeum, but all that's been covered up. And, you know, it begs the question, Richard, why do they keep doing this? What are they so afraid of? What are they so afraid of? Right. Um, I'm trying to remember, I, I, I've interviewed Dennis Stone, I believe. Uh, it's been a while, but it seems to me there was a conversation about some symbols uh, at America's Stonehenge uh, that appeared to be uh, ancient Canaan symbols. Does okay, that sound familiar? Backstory. This is in uh, episode four, America Stonehenge, the Canaanite connection. And I'm in the museum. I've, I've been to the site, I don't know, five, six times, something like that. I think about five times. And we're, we've spent almost a week there filming uh, for episode four and five. And Fritz Zimmerman joined us for that. And so Kelsey Stone, who at that time was... Uh, um, you know, 27, 28 years old, pretty much just like a year ago. So Kelsey's leading me through um, the museum, and he's pointing out different artifacts. Okay, yeah, I get it. That's pretty cool. And uh, what's this one? Oh, these are some of the arrowheads that were found on the site. Oh, okay. How about what, what's in here? Uh, this is the 28-day stone, which I didn't understand what that was until, you know, further on. So I just kind of shrugged, and we kept moving. And... I'm holding a little Osmo camera, and he gets to a display case, and he goes, and in, in, in here we keep some of the stones that we found with writing on them. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. So what does this one say right here? And he goes, well, we call this the ball stone. So I'm filming, and he goes, he goes, and the stone says, and he goes, the ball stone was discovered in, in the upper chamber, and uh, it lay in the museum for 11 years. I'm quoting verbatim, basically. So it was the ball stone was buried uh, underneath a very large slab of stone in a collapsed chamber on the site. They discovered this thing. They realized it had writing on it. No one could read it. It lay in the museum for 11 years. Enter Harvard professor Barry Fell, who said, "You know that looks familiar. I think I can translate it." So Fell takes photographs, rubbings, whatever, and then a couple of weeks later comes back and goes, "Well, I, I dedicated, I, I translated the stone, and it says this." And this is where it goes off the rails for me. So I go, well, Kelsey, what did it say? And Kelsey says, the stone, the writing on the stone says, to Baal of the Canaanites in dedication. Mm. Wow. And you hear me on film, and I left it in the film. There's this long pause. And I finally go, what did you just say? Like, just like that. What did you just say? Now he's in my wheelhouse. He doesn't know and understand, neither the dentist, the significance of the stone. They, for them, it, it linked back to the Phoenician seafarers. I get that. I totally understand that. Because, you know, the Phoenicians and all that, I get that, right? But Baal of the mm -hmm. Canaanites, mm -hmm. this is Nephilim all day long. It's Nephilim in your face to Baal of the Canaanites in dedication. I about fell out of my chair. I mean, I just could not believe it. 
And we show all that in the films. Now, you have to ask ourselves, Richard, what the heck is a stone with Iberian Punic doing in New Hampshire as a dedication to Ball of the Canaanites? What the heck is that doing? And you see, this is the problem. Archaeology is, oh, it's a forgery. So let me get this straight. No matter what we find, where we find it, you just declare, because you can, because I guess you guys are God, you declare that it's a forgery. So let me try to understand something even deeper. The stone is laying, hidden, it's buried, and then they find it, and it lays in the museum for 11 years. Man, that forger sure is a clever guy, and he's making tens of thousands of dollars, you know, for this elaborate hoax that no one knows about. They must I mean, be the they must be Russian forgers. <laughs> that, they are. They're Russian forgers. And this is why it collapses of its own weight. I mean, how much evidence do we have to show before we before you guys admit that you're just lying, or if I want to be kinder, you're at least deliberately obfuscating the facts of the matter. You're not telling the American people the truth. You're not. You know, you're, you 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 sit behind your ivory tower and you're and you're funded by taxpayer money, Smithsonian, right, and other places other like museums and stuff, they're all funded. You know, you guys get your paycheck and you just tow the party line. But you're not telling the truth. You're not telling people the truth of what was here and the fact that there's astronomical alignments that are absolutely mind-boggling. The fact that there's advanced mathematics in many of these mounds. The fact that the mounds line up to the constellation Draco, which is the dragon. The fact that these mounds and these sites are in line and our, our, our position on an 18 and a half year lunar cycle. How the heck did Native Americans know that the moon was on an 18 and a half year lunar cycle? We know from the Book of Enoch that a fallen angel by the name of Sariel came down and gave this information to mankind. We know that from the Book of Enoch. But Native Americans did not know that the moon was on an 18 and a half year cycle. They did not know it. It's not there. And yet, go to Chaco Canyon, 18 and a half year lunar cycle. Go to uh, America Stonehenge, 18 and a half years there. Octagon Mountain in Ohio, 18 and a half years. Serpent Mountain, 18 and a half years. It's, it's over and over and over. It's a signature. People go, why didn't they leave their name? They did. They left it in the mathematical mystery that, that's, that's embedded in all of these mounds. And we discover this. We show it in the film. It's mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. So, if there are all ten thousand mounds in Ohio alone, and a lot of these were probably, I'm guessing, uh, uh, inadvertently or deliberately plowed over and under by farmers who were and the early settlers, uh, they meant. I mean, there there must be uh, Nephilim bones all over the place. What happened to them all? Well, again, if we go back and we we actually read the accounts from the 19th century into the 20th, um, people who find these things call the Smithsonian Institute. The Smithsonian Institute sends out a team, they collect the bones, and they're never seen again. And, of course, when you bring this up, uh, everybody just laughs. But why, why is this? Why do we have record after record after record of eyewitnesses digging up 8, 9, 10, 12 footers all throughout the Midwest and elsewhere, and telling it, telling us that the Smith did come by, and they did, in fact, take the bones. Look, there's a massive cover-up. It's a massive cover-up, Richard. 
in uh, in the 1840s, before he was president, he was a lawyer. Abraham Lincoln was touring, I think, the Northeast, and he was campaigning for the Whig candidate, Zachary Taylor. And he stops in Niagara Falls, and he's so yep. amazed. He writes, I guess it's called kind of a meditation on Niagara Falls. And he, he, he talks about... Uh, when Columbus first sought this continent, when Christ suffered on the cross, when Moses led Israel through the Red Sea, nay, even when Adam first came from the hand of his maker, then as now, Niagara was roaring here. The eyes of that species of extinct giants whose bones fill the mounds of America have gazed on Niagara as ours do now. From the mouth of Abraham Lincoln, giants in those mounds. Now, the, the debunkers say, oh, he was talking about mastodon bones or something like that. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, they, have, they have answers for everything. They have answers for everything. It's like, it's like talking to a flat earther. Don't waste your time. But, but, Lincoln, but Lincoln knew about this. I mean, this must have been common yeah. knowledge. I'm very, very familiar with the quote. And again, this is before Cyrus Thomas said, oh, Native Americans built all this. They just forgot. He shut everything down. He shut everything down. And I think there's a reason for it. You know, Abraham Lincoln was right. It points back to a supernatural worldview. Something is going on. He's talking about giants. And, you know, he would have said mastodon. He knows what a mastodon is. You know, he would have said giant elephants. He said giants because they're giant human beings. They were here and he knew about it. And they were uncovered. I mean, he knew about it. So, again, there's, there's this great cover-up that all these museums including the one you went to, Grave Creek. And I believe because of because of my film, um, I believe it's still up. The sign, when you enter, there are no giants here. Is that still up? I think so, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, there. me think you don't protest too much. <laughs> I think that they protest a whole lot, exactly. Uh, so if, what did they do with those bones? Did they destroy them? Are they sitting in a warehouse somewhere? Well, that's speculation on my part. I have no idea. We've heard things like um, they had a lot of these things, and they said, "What? Why are we storing these?" And the one of the story goes, "It's an apocryphal story. There's no way to vet it." That late one night, they opened the gates and loaded up a couple of barges with these things and dumped them in the Atlantic, um, never to be seen again. That may or may or not be true. Um, you would think that with the Freedom of Information Act, we'd be able to have access to the Smith. And, and frankly, you know, we have to ask ourselves, why can't we? You know, why, why can't we find out what's here? You know, why can't we get a group of people and, and go down and find out what you guys are hiding? You know, it, it, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it really is. Stuff just goes missing. Just like the Catalina Island photograph. Poof, gone. But I got it. I took a photograph of the photograph, and that's 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 in our film. These bones, let's assume they're sitting around, or some of them exist somewhere. Uh, I mean, there is a, a supernatural connection here. These bones, if they are in fact the bones of the Nephilim, uh, they are they are hybrids. They are part fallen angel. Would, would would these bones then not pose some I don't know uh, uh, risk to whoever has them? That's a really good question. Really good question. I know that when I handled stuff in South America, I believe I believe something came on me at, at that 
um, at that, even though we prayed up and stuff. Um, I was under really heavy demonic oppression for a couple of years. That's fairly recently. The Paracas skulls, you mean? Yeah, the Paracas skulls. So these sites are highly charged, and it's it's nothing to take in a very in a cavalier fashion. Um, something is going on there. Uh, in our film, um, uh, Supernatural, uh, what is it called? The uh, Voices from the Other Side, uh, Secrets of the Supernatural, Voices from the Other Side. Uh, Steve Quayle was generous enough to lend us an audio interview he did with the late Henry Groover. Henry Groover is at the Serpent Mountain, and he had been praying over these sites, and the Lord had told him to go do it. But the Lord did not tell him to pray over the Serpent Mountain. So it's snowing. He's driving home for Thanksgiving. It's cold. It's snowing. He's alone in his van. He sees signage talking about the serpent mound. So he thinks to himself, well, I'll go, you know, shut this thing down and handle this for the Lord right now. So he pulls into the parking lot, and there's nobody there. You know, they shut down for the winter. So there's nobody there. And uh, he makes his way to this thing, reads some of the signage. And back then, when this happened to him, they actually were talking about the giant skeletons that were found there. Okay? But all that signage is gone. Isn't that interesting? Mm, very. So he makes his way to the head of the serpent, and he begins to pray and, you know, renounce and repent of the blood rituals that were done there. And he starts to, he's finished, and he starts to walk off the mound, and he gets, you know, maybe 30, 40 feet up, and it's like he's hit with an unseen force in his solar plexus and down to the ground he goes. And his, his knees are up in his chest and he's writhing in pain in the snow and he can't move. And he realizes that he's like paralyzed and it's very cold and he thinks to himself, they're gonna find me frozen here in the morning. And uh, he starts to pray to the Lord and ask the Lord to release him. And the Lord speaks to him and goes, you know, Henry, I will release you, but I didn't tell you to come here. Uh, you came here, you've been out in the field for seven weeks, and, you, and you're weak, and I didn't tell you to come here. It's a sin of presumption. So uh, the Lord released him, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And Henry was able to get back to the van and turn on the motor and crawl under this beaver <clears throat> skin coat, which he had made into a blanket and uh, got thought out and drove home. All that's in the film, that whole testimony's in the film. And it's brought to light by uh, Wesley Sangiorgi, who does a fabulous job on computer-generated imagery for us. So Wesley did a great job there and uh, uh, bringing to life Henry Gruber's story. But these sites are highly, highly charged sites. The first time I was at the Serpent Mound, Richard, <clears throat> I felt like I was being watched the whole time. And I mean that. Remarkable. Very creepy. Felt like I was literally being watched the whole time I was there. On the trail of the Nephilim, the uh, the mysterious mound builders uh, is just one of uh, now six, and the, and seven is on its way. Correct. Seven is. Uh, we're we're starting to edit that. Six will be released sometime next week. People can go to lamarzuli.net. Lamarzuli. M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I. Dot net. Thank you, Richard. And one more thing, real quick. Um, you, you can stream them. <coughs> Excuse me, by going to streaming 
www.lamarzuli.net. Streaming.lamarzuli.net. Watch all five for under 20 bucks. L.A., it was great catching up with you again. Congratulations on the new build. God bless you. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate it. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>